Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 106 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cato. I've got Shaker and Tyler, my fellow backmarkers, who will join me in just a second on this Zoom edition of the podcast. Of course, this podcast is always sponsored by the GPBox.com, the world's leading motorsport marketplace venue where you can buy some really awesome F1 used car parts, merchandise, really beautiful art, phone cases, things like that. And we've got some exclusive discounts courtesy of the GP box that you can find in the description of this video on YouTube. Or if you're listening on an audio platform, all those links are found in the description and the discounts are exclusive to Backmarkers F1 Show subscribers. So definitely check that out. I wanted to give a quick reminder to everybody, if you didn't see our social media posts or see the article on our website, we are trying to prepare a special fan video for the originally scheduled Canadian Grand Prix weekend that starts on June 7th. Of course, the race was supposed to be on June 13th. And we're asking for fans that have visited the Canadian Grand Prix, whether 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or just 2 years ago, to share some special memories of your favorite Canadian Grand Prix moments that you've attended. So. Click. You can see, uh, find the article and the link in the description of this video and the podcast, and you'll get all the details on how you can enter. You can enter by you know just filming a video of yourself describing your favorite moments, or you could just send us your pictures and videos. And we're hoping to get a lot of submissions that we can then compile into one big video. And then at least on the race week for the Canadian Grand Prix, we can kind of lift our spirits up a little bit, considering we don't have a race and that we can enjoy at least some of the moments of the past. So please check the link in the description below if you want to get involved in that video. It would be very much appreciated. All right. Well, bringing in my two fellow co-hosts for this beautiful afternoon here on a Monday morning in Ottawa, Canada, Shaker Barty. How you doing today, man? Pretty good, man. It's a beautiful day out. It's a long weekend. You know, it's great. Had a Monaco Grand Prix, so end of the soccer season. So, yeah, it was actually a pretty good weekend. <laughs> Almost forgot about the long weekend. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we also got Tyler McDonald here as well, who's busy away practicing his golf swing. Tyler, what's going on? Uh, that's right. Golf is now legal uh in ontario which is where we live in canada it was the only spot in the world where it was illegal uh because of covid so yeah put two and two together not sure how that makes much sense but uh no nice to see you boys after a nice monaco grand prix weekend uh maybe not uh the most uh, inventful monaco grand prix we've ever seen um just want to mention i'm sporting uh, a lil jersey today uh in support of ottawa native Jonathan David, Canadian international, who uh, scored and helped seal the uh, league uh, victory oh. for Lille. They won the title this year, so uh, congrats to them for beating nice. PSG. So I just wanted to support the Ottawa boy for, uh, <laughs> for doing it. So nice to see. Nice. That is really nice to see. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't know that. So, yeah, getting into then the 2021 Monaco Grand Prix. And, of course, as you mentioned uh, in, in Shaker Tyler as well, that Obviously not the most exciting race, and we kind of expect that from Monaco. This one was probably even a little bit more duller than your average Monaco Grand Prix. No safety cars, no real big incidents or anything like that. But nonetheless, I think that the tradition of the Monaco Grand Prix and, of course, the amazing scenery and everything, it makes it a worthwhile Grand Prix weekend. And, you know, one race out of the whole year that we kind of get a, a stale one like this, that's okay. But I think it was worth the qualifying and the dramatics. But... Before we touch into any of the, the race details and the juicy stuff, we have to talk about the TV coverage because it was, if we're being honest, just absolutely atrocious. And 
I'm always sort of defensive of the TV broadcast because if people don't know, all three of us are former TV broadcasting graduates here at Algonquin College. It's how we all met and then eventually started on with this show that we've got here. But we've worked so many different sort of sports broadcasts. You know, uh, I've done obviously a lot here on the local scene and community television and then done some national broadcasts as well. So I know how difficult it is and I always defend the, the crew because a lot of people don't know just how hard it is and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But I can't defend this one just because it was so bad. And, and before I get your thoughts on it, just quickly so everybody knows, the Formula One management usually regularly does the world feed and then Sky Sports and other broadcasters internationally pick up that world feed and then just put their commentators over it. So. Crofty, for example, doesn't have control. You know, the the commentators aren't connected with the truck. So obviously Crofty has to go by what's shown on the world feed. But in Monaco, apparently Tele Monte Carlo does it as a one-off for tradition or whatever. They have a contract. But it just shows that the director this weekend had never seen Formula One in his life, let alone at the Monaco Grand Prix. So before we show some of the funny video clips, Tyler, let's start with you. Were you when you were watching the whole race? What was going through your mind at some of those cuts? Well, like you mentioned, the world feed that the guys who usually do it are phenomenal. They're they've put on a really really good broadcast, and the replays are are fantastic. So it is a high standard that we kind of keep at F one because like the the broadcasts are premium. They should be winning awards of how good they are. Um, but you, you could really tell this week. I don't know what it was, but like you know, it's just the cutting away at different scenes when. Now, I think the biggest thing that got me was cutting away during battles, and twice they did it with the Sebastian Vettel overtake, and it, that really pissed me off. Like I started laughing. I, <laughs> yeah. it, I was so mad I was laughing upstairs because uh, the way even like Crofty and Brundle's reaction to it, like, oh, well, okay, no, we're not going to see it. Like they were frustrated too. You could tell. Um, and with, I don't forget what they cut to. They cut to something random. Don't and, worry, uh, I've got I've got the meme that was born from it, but we'll get to oh. it after. <laughs> Perfect. Love to see it. But yeah, I don't know. Something was just off this weekend. It's too bad because Monaco is so, so big. But uh, again, we're holding these guys to a high standard because of how good the F1 uh, regular feeds are and, and the world feed is for every other race. Um, is there another race on the calendar too that someone else does it? I believe it's Abu Dhabi. Or okay. No, maybe not. It's, it's one of those ones. It's yeah. one of those ones. I know there's another one because I remember there was a moment where we, uh, a few years ago, we were like, what is going on with this broadcast where we missed like a bunch of crucial moments? Um, but yeah, this one I found, obviously it's Monaco and there is times where you can look away. It's not always like eye catching, but I find like you're able to keep up with the details because like the broad, like obviously in the background, you can hear what the commentators are saying. And I found in this one, it was a lot of, oh my God, this just happened. Oh my God. So like, it was just a, there was a lot of, uh, it was noticeable. That's like noticeable by everybody. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing. And I agree, Chris, we should try and defend broadcasters because it is a difficult job. But looking, even looking at the F1 TV stream, it's not like they didn't have the camera angles. It's like they had all the regular camera angles. So I don't, I don't know. It's it's. It, it was almost like the director had this like, shopping list of he needed to get every single driver cut into mm-hmm. the broadcast like when was the last time you saw a Haas pit stop and we, we saw like two of them and it was random I think it was maybe like Perez was catching Norris and then they just cut to like an Alfa Romeo pit stop or a Nikita Mazepin pit stop it was just all over the place there wasn't any flow and when I was watching the first free practice session 
that's normal. Usually the broadcast itself, much like the drivers, they build up mm-hmm. until the Sunday and then Sunday they're just on it. Everything is perfect. And I was watching it on free practice. I'm like, oh boy, this is really rough, but it didn't really get that much better. It actually kind of got worse in the race. <laughs> and yeah, it was just random cuts everywhere. And it, it, it was funny. I, I was like you guys too. I was laughing about it more than I was upset because we all know what goes on in the back. I mean, Shaker, you've uh, you know, technical director. Now, technical director is the guy that p- pushes the buttons that the director tells them to put on the screen. And, and you've worked for a lot of bad directors in your time. I know that. So you know how frustrating it is when you're watching the screen and you're seeing the crap that's going up on the air, but you can't do anything. The thing is, I've learned a lot from bad directors. So, I, I mean, you can't... Bad directors have their moments because you can learn from them. The ba- The person I felt the worst for was the replay guy. Because the replays were not that great. And when they did cut back to it, it was always like the angle of the actual um, the actual car, car angle, rather than like showing like a big wide angle of showing what the action was going on. And it looked like he just, I, I, just knowing how that system works, <laughs> he probably had so many like replay guys on that because it's F1. They have so many people on it. So that that's just rough. It's not just one replay guy. It was probably multiple replay guys as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think you're right, Chris. I think that he did have a shopping list of shots that he wanted to get in. And I think he had told his camera guys to like be like, listen, you got to focus in on this guy. Maybe trying to play it more of like uh, either like a, uh, a football game or like a basketball game of trying to, you know, like these are the guys we need to focus on. And we all know that it, F1 doesn't work like that. It's in the moment. It changes so much throughout the race that you need to – your story changes a lot. So – I just yeah, wonder uh, if sponsorships became a thing. They're like, okay, we need to get the Ucrali sponsor into it, or we need to get <laughs> the the Roland yeah. Alfa Romeo sponsor into it, or something like that. Like maybe they were told um, for the Monaco Dream piece, and so many eyes are on it that you have to get all the teams in, so all the sponsors get ads. Like, that's that's only one thing I could think of is that he was directed to do that. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. Um... That is actually a really good point that it is a Monaco Grand Prix. So many people are watching it. Um, but like, did they put, have they put out the numbers for this Monaco Grand Prix yet? Because obviously there was no any. Monaco last year. So I, I expect the numbers for them to be up. Um, so yeah, I haven't it's, seen any yet. Should be it's, interesting. It's a good point, Tyler. It's definitely a possibility. But even then, it, they could have done a little bit of a better job with it. Because it's like... <laughs> Giovinazzi pit stop cut to it cut to it cut to it <laughs> like, okay and it, it is tough because there wasn't much action on the track but mm-hmm. when you recognize that the regular crew that does it they know the flow of the race they know when you kind of get to that mid-race lull where it's saving tires and fuel okay you mm-hmm. go to a midfield battle here and there but for them it was just all over the place and then I mean let's just get into it because one of the best memes I think in all of F1 history was born from this race and I mean that's the one positive that we can take away from it and last night while I was editing a video I was putting out this morning for the race I I, I just had because I was laughing about this all day long so I'm like you know what meme could I create you know like which moment could I create that that could fall in with this meme so I, I took a little bit of a shot at doing it uh, on my own here uh, I'm just going to make sure that I have the audio shared with you guys yeah so yeah, I didn't know that the the Monaco Grand Prix directors also worked the 2017 Australian Open final. Is this actually is this actual facts? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank God, thank God they didn't. <laughs> but this is what it would have looked like. Can you believe us? 
Hawkeye decides the outcome. Jim Fettel and Pierre Gasly, oh, what has happened? We need to know who's going to come out of the box <laughs> as we see Lance Stroll hitting the barrier and going over the curb. Yeah, I think Crofty was just as confused as every other viewer. He's like, we need to know what's going <laughs> on. What is this? Wrong Aston Martin, no. His reaction was great. Okay, and this one, this one's a footy one, so I think everyone will enjoy this one. Liverpool 3-0. Call it, take it quickly. What has happened? Liverpool. <laughs> 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 There's so many of these great ones. Um, you know, I just love it. And because I, we're already here. So, yeah, this is the overtake that we did miss on the world feed and we had to watch it afterwards. Because yeah. they, they cut right away from probably one of the only overtakes uh, of the entire race. Brilliant. Yeah, and I I will say that Hamilton on board is phenomenal to, yeah. to watch those two cars go side by side up there and you know, like heads up from from Vettel for just pinning it out of the pit lane, just saying screw it, I got to get ahead of these two guys, and it ended up creating a, a, a wonderful, maybe one of the better Vettel overtakes or or or, or dares that we've seen in his career. It's it's definitely up there. Uh, mm -hmm. For picturesque, like just you know, balls to the wall, sticking it out there, saying, "You know what? I, I, this is my position." Yeah. Um, and it also helped him with his race result. I mean, fifth place for for Vettel. It's awesome to see. It was it was great to see him up on the the top of the top half of the leaderboard. You see that V E T up there. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's where he should be. It's, it's nice. Ahead of Hamilton. That's right. Ahead of Hamilton. And then how crucial that would have been for a championship uh, two, three years ago. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. It was great to see him, and because we're already on the topic of Sebastian Vettel, I think his overall weekend was just really strong. He was comfortable mm -hmm. with the car all the way through, and qualifying was a bit touch-and-go. He wanted to save an extra set of tires for later on, so he only did one run in Q1 and was just right at the cutoff, but his race weekend could have turned out completely different had he not got in, but he did, and then mm -hmm. put in a really solid Q3 lap, and then even in the race too, he just managed the pace really well. And then, like you said, Tyler, you could kind of hear in the audio too, he just lit up the rears and just was very committed going into into that corner, which is a, a tight one too. So, And then Lance Stroll as well managed a very long stint on the hard. So overall, Aston Martin just had a very solid race weekend and their best moving them up into fifth in the constructors now. So a, a very good job for them. They actually um, had really good race pace as well, which I was concerned that they they wouldn't have um, just from again the regulations and how the high rake seems to really um, seems to have really been beneficial at Monaco compared to the low rake of Mercedes and Aston, and of course the technical regulations in general um, moving from this year. But they, their race pace was phenomenal. I was very happy to see that from Aston Martin, and. Um, a great strategy from from both teams to overcut on Vettel, see how well that went, and then Stroll going so long and having really good pace for a long time on those hard tires, and uh, put himself in a very good position uh, to finish eighth place. Okay, the highest, I think, he was the highest gainer out of the whole race. He gained five spots. Um, so, kudos to Aston Martin and their whole team. A beautiful weekend for them, and hopefully they can carry that to Baku, which I think they could be really strong in as well. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the hard tires was actually the best tire for almost every team this, this, uh, at the Monaco Grand Prix because I know Ricardo uh, had a really good pace. Um, 
who else was it? Sergio Perez had really good pace on the hard. So it was kind of the, it was a really good strategy. A lot of the teams actually pulled out of uh, with the hard tires. I think a few of them tried it. Uh, I think Red Bull was the most successful with it. Um, I mean, Aston Martin being a very close second to get both their teams into points as well. So I think everyone really had pretty solid strategy except for mm-hmm. Mercedes this weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, segue time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you can't you can't have you can have a strat and get ruined by you know a wheel nut being watched in no i'm not even talking about that i'm talking about hamilton like yeah. at least never mind the bottas stuff uh yeah. we, we will get into that but i i just it's just i find it wild how i think you said this shaker in the group chat how last week it was oh mercedes look how amazing they did and mm-hmm. how bad rebels strategy was and it's like the complete opposite for this monaco race and how mm-hmm. red bull was like oh wow they masterclass and then you're like what happened mercedes they were like they you know completely uh messed that up for for hamilton so and and hamilton was so frustrated on the radio i mean Mm -hmm. i haven't heard hamilton that frustrated at his team in a while um so you could tell there was there's some sort of annoyance or miscalculation there from mercedes but i mean chris you can get into it here but just it's a very tough weekend for mercedes and hamilton yeah Yeah, you hit no, go sorry. Go ahead, Shaker. I was gonna say it. It was really difficult, and it just seemed that everything that they were trying to throw at Hamilton just wasn't really working. Um, and I think it was, it was a big team thing. I don't think it can be blamed on just Hamilton or just what the team was doing in the garage. I think it was a difficult thing, a, com- a combination of the two, that he couldn't get the best out of the tires and the car, and then just the strategy didn't work out as the way they planned. You know. Just everything that they tried just never worked. <laughs> right. And I was a little surprised because I thought that he would have better pace in Monaco, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah. I, th- I think they made some car setup changes after free practice that didn't really work for Hamilton, but it worked for Valtteri because Bottas was on it. He actually had a shot for pole, had had the red flag not come out. But I, I was just touching on that, Chris, since you mentioned that um, Bottas's team took the whole front end off before qualifying and rebuilt the front end. And oh, made a bunch okay. of changes, hmm. and I'm wondering if that's what made the difference from Bottas to Hamilton because Bottas was flying up there uh, hmm. during qualifying, just way ahead of Hamilton. So I, I think that front end, whatever they did on the front end for Bottas's car before qualifying, is exactly what the change that that Mercedes needed, and they didn't do it to Hamilton's side. Anyways, hmm. continue on your on your point there, but I just want to put that in there. Yeah, and that was exactly it, right? Because it led to Hamilton qualifying in seventh, and unless you're extremely lucky, you're not really going to move up too many places from seventh. Obviously was really essentially stuck behind Gasly for 78 laps and then didn't come away with much, but yeah, it was surprising to see sort of Mercedes really blunder that strategy. Like you guys mentioned comparison to Spain where they came in first and then it just really backfired on them. And then not only did he get, you know, not only did Gasly stay in front of him, he also got jumped by Perez and then Vettel eventually as well. So, and like you guys mentioned, he was super pissed on team radio afterwards and then Bottas on the other hand you know his race pace was starting to sort of fall off near near the end of that first stint <laughs> then he comes into that pit stop man and he's been on the end of Mercedes's worst pit stops this year if we go back to Bahrain and now this one as well and actually I mean at the time that we're recording this the wheel is still stuck on the car as it's back in the factory so wow I don't know what the issue was, and obviously it's sort of hard to blame the team, but I mean, it's just another one of those bad luck Bottas incidents where, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen 
a retirement like that before from a cross-threaded wheel nut that just wouldn't come off. And then he would have had at least a second, and now he got nothing. Yeah, I think they were talking about how, like, Mart Brundle was talking about how the cross-threading could lead to, like, a welding of the wheel nut to the arm or something. I don't know. There's some sort so of... I think from what I understood from the broadcast, and I might be wrong, I think it was a mixture of three things. I think it was the the wheel nut originally being cross-threaded when the tire was put on, so it was put at a different angle. So the heat from the brakes obviously uh, melted a little bit or did provide it some heat to make it, give it a little bit more. And then when they went to put the gun in at the end, it stripped the entire nut right away. So when they were trying to get it off, I think you even saw it in the broadcast, and they mentioned it, there was literally like... <clears throat> dust of metal just coming off as they were trying to grind it out and then like as you pull they pulled the gun away it was it, it was just grinded down um so the more gun they were putting on it um they just couldn't get it out if maybe if they had this smaller uh nut to put inside the gun it would have been possible but I, I just don't think they had the time and at that point valtteri's race was already over i think Dude. he was already sitting there for like 20 30 seconds at that point and i think it was already over do you have that video, Chris, of the wheel nut, the close-up? I believe I do, yeah. I think it's oh, okay. on. Yeah, so this must be, I think, Shaker, what you were talking about. Yes. And I do believe I remember seeing it from the broadcast, but I, I think I was so disoriented with the cutting that I just don't remember at the moment. <laughs> it was, I do agree, it was a little bit all over the place, and I think I, I saw this in the highlights is why I remember it so vividly. Fair <laughs> enough. So, yeah, here you get the close-up of it. Yeah, right there. So as they're, yeah, that's, so that's the initial turn that they try to do. And li look. Yeah, that wheel that's destroyed. Down. Yeah. Let's see if I could just pause it on there. Yeah. Yeah, it just wouldn't come off. Mm -hmm. So it's just completely grinded down. And I'm assuming those things are obviously made pretty heavy. Um, especially with the wheel nut, the way that it's locked in, it's only one nut, right? Compared to where our cars, we have five and we're only mm -hmm. going like a hundred, 140 kilometers per hour, uh, per hour maximum. So, I mean, it, it's, it's probably pretty, pretty strong. So I think it was the cross thread that did it with the actual mixture of that, just the initial grinding of the nut. It would be nice if Mercedes came out and was like, oh, this was a problem. I'm not sure if they want to come out with that because other teams might say like, that's a weakness but like it doesn't have to anything to do with like arrow or anything like other teams can steal so i don't, no. I don't know i to be honest i working as a technician in my line in line of work when you cross thread something and you can't get it off it is the most frustrating thing <laughs> and whoever did that probably just feels like an idiot so i'm sure they're gonna come out with nothing because <laughs> that's honestly just a really embarrassing moment um just to like be so you know so a high you know working technician in like in formula one uh and and, and mechanic or something like that and just to have a cross-threaded nut is is really embarrassing like i i would be embarrassed if i cross-threaded something in the film industry and you know somebody wasn't able to do their job it, it is it is frustrating and it is kind of embarrassing so <laughs> I, I bet you it's one of those things too where they're just like putting it on whatever just doing just it just, regularly putting it on yeah, and then from now on, I guarantee you, every single Mercedes wheel nut is going to be like this. Yeah. <laughs> I was going on and make sure it's not cross. He was like putting it on, and you know, Bill came by, told him a joke, and he got distracted, and yeah. you know. <laughs> probably honestly. So 
So it's probably just one of those things that like it was just a second of looking away and not paying attention. So it it is very embarrassing. So I I knowing how cross threading works. I'm sure you guys <laughs> have done it before too. It is very it is it sucks. <laughs> and it was a very costly mistake because yep. it's Bottas's second DNF in five races. And of course, that really set the stage for the massive shift in both championships at the end of the Monaco Grand Prix, because now you have Red Bull at the top of the constructor standings by a slim margin, and also Max Verstappen taking the driver's championship lead for the first time in his career, and also uh, with a four-point lead over Hamilton. I should also add that this is Red Bull's first constructor's championship lead since 2013, and also the first time that a non-Mercedes car has led the championship since the summer of 2018, when Sebastian Vettel was still leading it for Ferrari. So it was a pretty straightforward race for Max. Of course, in Monaco, nothing is straightforward, because the focus that you need for 78 straight laps is, is pretty intense. And when you get into that rhythm, it's kind of easy to maybe just, you know, lull, have a little bit of a lull here and there and end up in the barrier. So he did a very good job out front for 78 laps, of course, covered off Bottas really well at the start. And really, this championship has turned on its head. And it's a potential pivotal race because it was an 18-point swing in the championship. Yeah, it's it's massive for, for everyone really involved. I mean, um, it takes Bottas almost out of the championship, I want to say. Um, that, I mean, that's going to be really tough. He's, what, 50 points behind right now? That's, yeah. that's a lot to come back from. I know it's a long season. There's 23 races this year, the longest year ever. Um, but still, that's that's a lot of, you know, of points to make up. Lando's ahead of him. <laughs> so, um, you know, very, very interesting. And it, it definitely puts Red Bull on the front foot now to uh, be able to try to and, and capitalize on this now Red Bull are going to have their bad races too it's not like Verstappen's going to you know, finish every race oh I say that and maybe he will but um you know we see how consistent Hamilton is all the time with his points paying finishes yeah, it's all the time he's at least recording if he has a bad race he's at least recording two three points just to add on add on add on so it, Hamilton's very consistent he's people have to remember that he's going to be able to now bang out these races and, and keep his wise head to know that there's a championship later down the time rather than trying to fight for race wins. So it'll be really interesting how it plays out. But uh, again, it's going to be nice, nice and close for the rest of the season. It's uh, nice to have a championship battle that we know we, we have no idea what's going to happen. And and Shaker, just before you, you add on it, because I wanted to ask you, because you brought up this point earlier, which I'm glad you did, is that you know, how different this championship would look had certain things happened differently in the first yep. four races. And I immediately think to imagine if that red flag in Imola hadn't come out and Hamilton was still a lap down or would have finished maybe outside of the points even, what a different championship lead this I, would be for Max. I would almost go to say as as recent as uh, Charles Leclerc with the red flag and not uh, starting this race completely changed up this entire Grand Prix, uh, entire uh, championship. True. If he was to uh, stay in first place, uh, you know his car was good. He was able to start the race. That would have beside, you know, that would have been Ferrari getting two points finishes if they were able to keep their, uh, you know, does, did exactly what Max did because Sainz had a fantastic race. Um, that would have been two points finishes for Ferrari, most likely a first and I guess a third 
Yeah, I would say know, so. Something Double like podium. that. Um, that's two po- the, you know, that's two podium finishes. Ferrari would have been put them higher up. Uh, probably more of a challenge. Uh, probably would have been ahead of McLaren. Um, no points for Lando. Uh, so he would have been lower down. Uh, it, it just it would have completely changed up the entire race. You know, if Charles Leclerc had managed to stay in, uh, we probably wouldn't have seen Lewis Hamilton starting seventh. Probably wouldn't have seen uh, a lot other people starting where they were. Uh, probably wouldn't have seen Pierre Gasly uh, starting the race in P6 and finishing in P6 as well. So I think it would, I would go as recent, you know, as to say Charlotte Claire basically getting that red flag and not starting this race completely shook up this championship. Um, I think it's brought it a lot closer. I was even looking at um, the championship points just earlier before we started. And I think I've, you know, McLaren, Ferrari within two points, Aston Martin, Alpha Tori, Alpine all within one point of each other. You know, it's um, Alfa Romeo getting the one point over Williams and Haas. Um, there's multiple different championship race fights happening here between, you know, there's three with Red Bull uh, and Mercedes fighting for first, McLaren and Ferrari fighting for third, and then the other three fighting for, you know, the best of the rest, basically, which it's really interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it this close in the last few years. So, And if you look also at the driver's standings too, this race brought Sergio Perez back into contention for third yep. because he's now right within a point or two of Valtteri Bottas for fourth. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, And then they're both chasing, as you guys mentioned, Lando Norris, who retakes third place in the championship. And the Charles Leclerc is four points behind him. So if he had started this race, managed to keep fifth place, we would have seen... Charles Leclerc in third place in the championship right now. That's a good point. So I think it, it, it makes it really interesting going into the next race. Um, and I think the best comment uh, the, if I've heard from a driver, uh, which I'm really excited to hear about, was Sergio Perez at the end of his race saying, I'm still not comfortable with the car yet. And that him just doing that in the Monaco Grand Prix, managing to be honestly the best, probably, I mean, probably tied with uh, Lance Stroll as the best teammate on on the grid for uh the best secondary on the grid for the Monaco Grand Prix I would give that to uh I would give that to Sergio Perez cuz just he managed to do exactly what he needed to keep Max Verstappen had held up the second and third uh when he went into the pits I th- I think I said it earlier I think this was the best strategy we've seen for Red Bull in the last few years they did exactly what they needed to do uh recovered from their last Grand Prix um so yeah I want to mention when Sergio was trying to push for the overcut, Max came out um, almost right beside Sergio, if not just behind him, and was told on the radio, let Sergio go, don't worry about him, let him push, let him buy so that he can, like he's trying to build a gap. Yeah. And kudos to Max because he played his part in the team role mm-hmm. as well. Usually it's roles reversed, right? Mm-hmm. But he played his part in the team role. I don't know if he lifted off a little bit, but he let Sergio and made sure he had a good gap. Uh, so Sergio had an easy exit out of turn one um, and was able to take the lead and really push to try and build that gap. And that gap pushed Sergio up to fourth place. We saw how well that did. So really uh, fantastic team play from Max as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's nice to see that he is, he, when, when he's called to, to do the team stuff, he, he's willing to do it. So awesome mm-hmm. to see that from Max. Yeah, that's an excellent point you bring up too because their partnership is actually very strong. They've got an excellent relationship from what I can tell off track in some of the social posts I've seen and in other videos. And we haven't really seen them work together that much on track just yet. 
but this was a great example of what the possibility is. And I, I think that going into the race, it wasn't looking great for Perez back in P9, and he mm-hmm. didn't get a great lap in qualifying, had some traffic that he ran into at Raskas. So it was, you know, a big task for him. But like you guys mentioned, the Red Bull strategy, very solid on point. And also Perez's pace had to be good in order to get him up to P4. So I think we're seeing the differences, right, between Gasly at his time at Red Bull and Albon at his time at Red Bull, that Perez's talent, his experience, and, the, and how we can extract the performance out of the car is putting him in a place where he's able to pull off these types of strategy moves. So very encouraging also that post-race on the team radio, Christian Horner came on and, and was talking to Perez and said, you know, your time will come. This was a, a good performance and just, you know, be patient because your time will come. So mm-hmm. I think that as Perez said himself, all the pressure is coming from himself and you see it too. He's okay. always saying like, like you mentioned, Shaker, I'm not comfortable yet. You know, there was more in the car. So he, I like the fact that he's really pushing himself. I hope mm-hmm. he doesn't put too much pressure on himself, but I still feel like we're, we're almost like a race or two away from seeing Perez's true pace and potential. And yeah. when that gets unlocked, I think this could be a completely different championship as a whole. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think on uh, the other hand, another, I want to just mention this quickly, was Pierre Gasly's, uh, I don't know if you guys listen to the team radios afterwards, but uh, <laughs> it was basically saying that they didn't do good enough or like they could have done better. Yeah. But like Pierre Gasly started in P6 and finished in P6 and it just felt like he was confused. He was like, <laughs> yeah. But we finished P6. <laughs> I think that's really good. So I think uh, I, I just want to give it to Pierre Gasly as well. He had a fantastic race um, at the same time. So like, kind of shows you, you know, Pierre, uh, Sergio Perez putting pressure on himself and Pierre Gasly now getting the pressure from the team because they know what he's capable of. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think you described it really well. He was confused. He's like, should we be happy with that or not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was good. Sixth place, it's uh, yeah. the highest finish that they've had. and mm-hmm. They finished ahead of both Mercedes. Yep. <laughs> there you go. It's pretty good. Yeah, so I, I think it was, it was decent. But yeah, good day for Red Bull, for sure. And I think that Mercedes are already saying that they're going to struggle at Baku. So it might just be a sort of street circuit, you know, colder track temperatures, maybe tire warm-up not as easy. I also think the big factor was the softer tires, where mm-hmm. we've seen Red Bull a little bit more successful with the softer compounds, because when you guys were mentioning the stint on the hards, that was the softest compound in the last two race weekends. Mm-hmm. So I think that that favored Red Bull there a little bit. So Bacchus should be very interesting. Um, I, I think that Red Bull should be pretty handy around there, um, but that will be uh, in the next couple of weeks' time, so we'll see what happens there. We'll see about the straight-line speed. That's going to be interesting to see who comes up with the the low right. downforce package i mean um we'll see if who's been handy a straight line this year aston's um i think aston's look really good i mean the hondas have been pretty good should yeah be interesting to see if mercedes makes the same change like you mentioned the wing changes that they did to valtteri if they decide to put those on to uh, lewis's car we could see an improvement in that as well so yeah and we also have the impending load tests on the bendy wings that it's not going to come until the french grand prix so that might help, you know, Red Bull in Baku until it, that whole changes, which, you know, we can get to at a different time, maybe closer to when those, uh, you know, directives come in. But mm-hmm. yeah, definitely one of the best Monaco Grand Prix weekends for Red Bull in quite some time. And of course, Verstappen's history at Monaco, having a couple of crashes and then being able to finally have a somewhat of a redemption day for himself as well was very important. So well done to him and Red Bull. 
Now, speaking of crashes, Hold on, we... I just want to comment. Uh, Red Bull also had a really great couple years with Daniel Ricardo. We can't forget about that. True. Did not have the greatest weekend. <laughs> yeah, it felt bad for Danny. He got lapped by Lando Norris, of course. Kind of just frustrating for him because yeah. he's not really sure. I mean, he feels pretty confident in the car, but just pace wasn't there. Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's difficult for him to see Lando Norris driving so well in that car and feeling so comfortable and him just kind of coming in new and not getting as comfortable. I think it's a little bit more pressure to see, you know, Carlos Sainz, um, you know, the ex-McLaren driver and doing so well in Ferrari and getting his first podium now in Lando. It, it, it's it's a tough one. You know, he's such a, he's such a, he's got so much experience and see like younger drivers getting so comfortable so quick where, you know, he's, it, yeah, I, I think it's a tough situation for him for sure. Yeah. So then moving on to, of course, the big crash that happened in qualifying. And if you think that Leclerc crashed it on purpose to secure pole position, I think we can bury all those opinions right now because, of course, he was not able to start the race. Ferrari say that it wasn't actually a gearbox issue, that it was something to do with the drive shaft mm -hmm. on the left rear of the car. Interesting enough that the article came out just this morning that Bonato was saying that they actually didn't check the drive shaft on the Saturday and then overnight into the morning. So very strange out of Ferrari that they, I mean, if it wasn't the gearbox, then obviously we don't necessarily have to talk about the sort of the gamble that they played, not taking the penalty, but I'm just a little confused as to why they wouldn't check other parts of the car. Like why would it just be the gearbox? How would you not see that there's some sort of a drive shaft issue? Maybe it wasn't related to the crash, but I would think that it would be because it was a pretty big hit. Well, the interesting yeah. part is that it's on the opposite side. I was just about to mention that. So yeah, that's I a could good point. see them checking yeah. the whole right side, but maybe <laughs> they didn't bother checking the left side. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the issue happens. So it's just due diligence at that point. I mean, you have a Monegasque on pole at the Monaco Grand Prix in a Ferrari. Um, in my mind, I'd be checking that car through and through to make sure everything is in top shape for him to go out and win that race. Um, but... Uh, Ferrari just did a Ferrari of, of recent and, and just managed to shoot themselves in the foot, unfortunately, for, for Charles. And I feel awful for Charles because, hey, again, it's, it is his fault because he crashed the car. Um, this wasn't a Schumacher in 06, just parking it and, and screwing everyone else's lap. Um, so it is, it, it is Charles' fault for crashing the car. Uh, but at the same time, it's also his team's fault for, for not checking everything at the same time. So um yeah just unfortunate i feel bad for charles because he just has awful luck in monaco which is just unfortunate um but <laughs> yeah I, yeah it's I, it's terrible <laughs> i take back my statement of uh well i'm just gonna alter my main statement of charles leclerc will one day win a monaco grand prix <laughs> i'm just gonna change it to one day he'll finish a grand prix there you go that's right <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's an accurate one. But isn't it funny too that like, because I think it's, who was it, Vettel's race engineer last year? Like every time the drivers would report like some problem, they'd be like, we are checking, we are checking. Yeah. Clearly they weren't checking enough for, no. for his car. <laughs> Maybe it's just a we are checking and he's like on his phone texting someone. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was tough, man. I mean, it's it was a great first lap that he put in. But yeah, it's just, and, and that's a really hard corner too. I mean, to, when you look at the replays of them just literally sometimes even brushing the inside of that first chicane or the first corner in the swimming pool section 
it, it is difficult because the entry speed is so high and you actually do need to turn in early so that you hit that first curb mm -hmm. and so that you don't take the yellow bollard that's on the exit of the second quarter. So it's completely understandable how, how that happened. That's why I knew right away, okay, he didn't do that on purpose. He was just on a flying lap and was really trying to, to maximize the, the apex there. But yeah, very strange from Ferrari. And I think that they had the pace to to win the race. Obviously, track position being king in Monaco. It, Science was looking excellent all weekend too. We talked about him a little bit earlier, but his pace right away from free practice one, he went out on the medium tire and he was just setting for personal best after personal best, fastest lap, fastest lap. So he's disappointed because he thought he could win the race, but I still think a, an excellent podium finish for him. And at the very least, it was a difficult weekend for Ferrari, but good signs that at least in the slow speed corners where they not too long ago were very struggling a lot on them, that they've been able to almost have the best qualifying pace out of anybody else. So watch out positives. Singapore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might be the next time we see Ferrari up, top, up front is Singapore. Yeah, maybe. I mean, certain sectors in Baku could, could benefit them, but then they've got the long straights as well. So, uh, you know, that should be interesting. But yeah, that's tough, man, for Leclerc. Still hasn't finished uh, a Monaco Grand Prix. So that, that curse is definitely real. Yeah. It's good of him to stick around with the team afterwards. And, you know, it's could just go home and sulk in your sadness but good for him to like stick around yeah because his home's not far away that's right he could legit just walk home but. yeah good for him uh, a great sportsman he's turning into and he's had to deal with a lot of those tough moments so uh, unfortunately for him he's got experience with that um i do want to give a quick shout out uh, just we're talking about drivers who didn't really do well i want to talk about one who did really really well um and i thought maybe had the most um improvement over a, a grand prix weekend and that's nikita mazepin he yeah crash, you know what i was gonna say too phenomenal <laughs> didn't finish in last place he overtook nick schumacher <laughs> and also was very good during blue flags yep. i was concerned for him for a little bit when he had exceeded his track limits after 14 laps uh but he managed to figure it out it's fine yeah. um and didn't get a penalty for it so nope. well done to nikita uh we give him a lot of shit uh, but uh, you know what? This is kind of like a, a joking praise, I guess you could say. Uh, but uh, no, he didn't crash, so good for him. No, I, I agree. Um, I was listening to the uh, the uh, the post race comments. He mentioned how like he didn't talk to his crew at all the entire like time he was racing, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was just so focused in." Um, and then I think uh, towards the end, he hit the same uh, corner that Charles uh, crashed in. And he was just like, yeah, it is a really difficult race. Like you either you're either laser focused or you're just not in it at all. So it's did you I, guys I have to give it to him? He he did have a he big improvements from the you know the first uh, first few races of the season. Um, and yeah, we, did you guys hear his unfiltered radio? No. Oh, here I'll send it to the um to the group chat. But he, this is you talk about him not. Like being was he focused. talking a lot? <laughs> no, he, he talked about him being like focused and stuff like that. This is his team radio, and um, I, I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> personally, I just I thought it was really good. If you guys haven't heard it yet, it's, I want to see your guys' reaction to it. No, I don't. So think I, I sent it to you, Chris. So let me know whenever you're uh, you're good to go. All right, here we go. Driver default, Charlie, 85 when you can. Driver default, C, 85 when you can. That's on the MFA rotary to 10 o'clock position. <laughs> Jesus. 
cannot do it. I cannot do it. Stop it up, Maz. If you can move MFA to position C and then select 85 on the dash. But... Repeat number again. Which number? <laughs> 85. I cannot do it, man. You are having a fucking laugh. <laughs> I'm just gonna. blue flag for stroll. I'll tell you when. Do it. That was a good I, one. I thought it was pretty good. Just you're talking about how focused he was during the race. I mean, clearly, like he's like, I, I can't do. It. I'm, I'm at Monaco. I just, I just don't have time to do shit like that. Well, you know, it's funny because th that reminds me of. I think it was maybe 2017 Monaco. Sergio Perez had a similar call like that because his engineer was like, like yellow position nine. You know, rotary 65 defaults, like something complicated like that, right? And Perez is like, "You really want me to crash, huh?" He's like, <laughs> "He's like, stop fucking around, man. I need 200% focus." <laughs> because, well, I I agree with Mazepin. Like, when would you have time to? Yeah. Okay, like 85. Okay, subsection I, D. Yeah, it's like I have to look at the road and the walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It would have been really funny if he was doing this, like if he was said all that during like going into the, like the Nouvelle Chicane and then into the casino section and swimming pool section, just like yeah. really like the the hardest part of the of the circuit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like Lando said it a, a few races ago. He's like, "Man, I'm trying to race." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's just it's hard, you know, when you're so like slightly. I we say Monaco, you know, it's kind of decided a qualifying. But like you, it's a long race. It's seventy-eight laps, you know, and just pure laser focus the entire time because there's, you know, it's it is a very scenic, it's a very scenic track, and you really have to focus in on the road the entire time. So it, it it's a it's a tough one for sure. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to echo the same thoughts with you guys and giving credit to Mazepin where it's due. Uh, outperform Mick Schumacher throughout mm -hmm. the whole weekend. And, uh, you know, Mick obviously had a lot of struggles, crashed twice in FP3, and then uh, in FP2, sorry, and then FP3 was the big one where they couldn't get the car out for qualifying. So maybe just a case of he was a little bit too confident. Um, his FP2 crash was a little bit strange, and I think the FP3 crash was just a another kind of strange one, almost in the same section there before uh, he heads into the casino. So another learning curve for him and another learning experience. But yeah, um, definitely Mazepin deserves a lot of credit after what a lot of people thought would be a, one of his worst weekends actually turned out to be his best. So good for him and the whole Haas team as well. So I wanted to just finish off this podcast with uh, his name has come up quite a few times during this episode, but I think it deserves uh, a lot of credit for me is the driver of the year so far in 2021. And that's Lando Norris. And he's got his second podium in just five races and really just excelling at McLaren this year. I I've noticed that he's just a little bit more serious. Not that he wasn't before, but um, you know, you're not seeing so much of the banter and the social media stuff. He's very focused, and he's back up into third in the championship. And how he was able to keep his head when Perez was chasing him down was very, very impressive. And I think that McLaren, like you mentioned, Shaker, earlier, considering Ferrari's pace, they're super happy that they're able to walk away with a podium and the constructors' lead. But I'm just thoroughly impressed with Norris almost every weekend now. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I don't know what he, what he changed between last year and this year, but it's just it's the complete mindset of you know of just pure racing throughout the entire weekend you know there's no like he's not messing around with like you said the social media posts or anything before the pre-race he's just fully locked in all weekend 
Um, he wants to improve. He like I, I think I said it before. He wants to be that number one driver. Um, I, 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 he's got a really good relationship with that team. Hearing the team radios afterwards, everyone's always really happy for him. He's always super excited. Um, and I, I, and I think it doesn't. He doesn't really show it till his till the you know the checkered flag comes out. Now it's not. He's not messing around. So. No, I was really impressed, and just how good did that car look going around mm-hmm. Monaco with that special golf livery? Yeah. Uh, they should keep that livery all they year should. round. It was it really beautiful. Should. And awesome. if you haven't looked at the merch, Mer- McLaren's gonna love me here for a second. But the merch on that uh, from that collaboration is phenomenal as well. I'm, I might have to pick up something myself. Um, but the no, only awesome. Issue is it's white, and I just drop shit all the time. No, it's a baby <laughs> blue. It's a baby blue. There's a baby blue? Okay. Yeah, okay. baby blue in it. Yeah. That. <laughs> but, it is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it all looks phenomenal. But no, kudos to Lando. He was phenomenal this weekend. He's been phenomenal all year. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in Baku as well. I think that could be a, a strong track for him as well. Um, he's been really, really you know, on the ball all season. And uh, it's awesome to see that he, he signed an extension with, uh, with McLaren, obviously. So he's going to be there for another few years so depending on how the 2022 car goes i mean who knows maybe he'll be in title contention um we don't know what the new regulations are going to bring mm-hmm. um and you know signs and norris finally got to share the podium for the first time yeah so that, that was, was cool nice to see. that was cool um, <laughs> oh it's speaking of podium i wanted to mention this uh off the top but i'll do it now before we wrap up what was with that serena williams thing my god yeah i don't know that was out of nowhere uh, and then she was waving the checkered flag, but like stopped waving it halfway, and they had to like, keep telling her to wave it. She was on camera know. though for like it was like a flag waving <laughs> workshop. Yeah. They were like teaching her how to wave a flag, and I'm just in there. I'm like, there's a race going on. There's like <laughs> yeah. five laps left in this race. <laughs> yeah, I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, like I, I thought, like it was going to be one of those like, oh, she's waving the flag because she's promoting one of her charities and stuff. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's perfect time to like to promote like that charity like, yeah let's let's do it like let's promote the charities doing this but then that like i didn't see any like charity or anything pop up it was just <laughs> her doing it. i was like oh okay yeah and there was this also there's this pretty good meme that came out of it too i didn't even listen to the interview with max after just because it was so cringy but it was like this is scenes after serena's next grand slam win because <laughs> 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 apparent because because yeah this this person was at rob wilson f1 was just saying how ridiculous it was because she, apparently she was even asked about giving advice to the drivers and stuff <laughs> i didn't hear like i said i, I couldn't watch it because it was uh, just I, so cringy. i didn't watch that either <laughs> but uh yeah it, it was just weird because like first of all we don't normally care about um about celebrities at a race weekend like you mentioned shaker there's a race going on and especially in this case too when it was max's first victory at monaco yeah like we want to hear from max we want to hear from the other two guys like i don't care for any other athlete or other celebrity it's just not relevant yeah i mean and if you're gonna have celebrities at it i think the one that i remember pretty well was when matthew mcconaughey was at the the uh, u.s grand prix and they kind of like you know when they show him when they show the garage and some of the people there they'll show him their you know, just in the background, you know, and then even at the end of the race, um, you know, they give all the drivers their time. And then when they show off the rest of the team, you know, they do a big, nice wide shot. And then they have, you know, like some of the celebrity just sitting there in the background or something like that. But they're not like, 
focusing on them for like two to three minutes <laughs> trying to learn how to wave a checkered flag you know, <laughs> during the race when it's actually action going on <laughs> it's funny you mentioned matthew mcconaughey because he was actually the grand marshal this past weekend oh, um, at uh, for nascar because they were at circuit of the americas in austin that's mcconaughey's hometown yeah so he was the grand marshal there so it's funny <laughs> how you put those you randomly mentioned him but yeah he was a grand marshal on the same weekend <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> and he did a very good job i must say yeah See? very strange yeah. <laughs> all right yeah. celebrities just yeah. celebrities I, well it also brings me back to because the next race we go to in Baku this was a couple of years ago when uh like we you don't know, the celebrities go up where the flag waving is at the start of the race and mm -hmm. Christina Aguilera was there and she was like you know taking a, a photo when the cars were going out to go to the formation lap and then sure. <laughs> it was David Coulthard on commentary and he's like oh there's Christina Aguilera faking an interest in Formula One <laughs> <laughs> that's right I remember like, that uh, pretty accurate <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know what celebrity is going to be at Baku. Who's the biggest Azerbaijan celebrity? Let's put them out there. See if they can wave a flag. Good question. I don't know. <laughs> let's keep it on the drivers. They're the real celebrities yeah, here. Let's That's right. Yeah. So, do you guys have anything else for the Monaco Grand Prix? Um, I think the only. Yep. Go ahead. No, I just want to say I feel bad. I don't know if I said this at the start of the podcast, but I'm going to reiterate it. Uh, just with so many new fans coming into the F1, I just I feel bad. This was their first experience of Monaco because it was a dull race and like not Monaco at all. Um, just like there's no there's no yachts, there's nothing. Like there's no the party atmosphere. So yeah. uh, I do kind of feel bad for the people who first watched Monaco because they're, they're probably like, oh, what the heck? Like, why is this hyped up so much? So yeah, just be patient. Wait for next year. Yeah, next year is going to be a really interesting. Um... Yeah, it, it was kind of weird, right? Like, just seeing, like, the entire crowd and, like, half of it filled and everybody, like, social distancing and stuff, just not seeing completely, like, lively and, like you said, yachts everywhere and just people like, just partying it all up was really different. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah, it's just a different vibe. I definitely want to go to Monaco next year because that's, like, technically, like, th two years that they didn't have, like, a huge event at Monaco. Mm. So... Yeah, it deserves a place on the calendar. I know people want to suggest some changes and everything, but as I said up the top, it's just one race out of the 23, and it's a very particular circuit too, so yeah. I think it's it worth it. A, it wasn't a super interesting rate, but I think if you watched it, like just I, like just studying team strategies afterward and see what actually happened, I think in terms of that, it was kind of interesting, but like not your like not your everyday viewer is going to be paying attention to that. You know, they want to watch a eventful race. You know, they want to see some sort of action happen, and you know, it just that wasn't exactly this Monaco Grand Prix. So, yeah, fair enough, and well said from the both of you guys. Uh, you brought up some excellent points. Through, throughout this podcast, I think we've covered mostly all of the happenings of the 2021 Monaco Grand Prix. And very exciting as we move into Baku, which will be on the June 4th to 6th race weekend. And I think that that will be a very interesting race now with the championship picture totally changed. Now, before we sign off for today's podcast... All right. Well, that will do it then for episode 106. If you guys don't have any final comments, I think uh, we're ready to sign off then for this episode. Yep, nothing for me. Uh, yep. we, I think we hammered it all in the podcast and excited to see Baku in a couple of weeks. Yeah, very excited for the next race. Uh, yeah, good, you know, hopefully a more eventful and grander, 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 <laughs> strong, uh, Monaco <laughs> Grand Prix uh, the, the years to come. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for this and season. 
Baku always offers usually a very interesting race as well, so mm -hmm. um, it's good. it should be a lot more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well then, for Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty, I've been Chris Cato. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Remember, subscribe to our channel and click the bell for notifications so you'd never miss any post-race analysis from the Backmarkers F1 show after every race in 2021. And of course, check the links below for all of our social media outlets on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram so you can follow us there. As always, guys, we appreciate all the support. And until next time, it's bye for now. Have a good one.